Well, there was a, a lady once who didn't trust banks with her money. Uh, in fact, she didn't really trust anyone with her money. So what she would do is hide it in her house. Uh, specifically, she would hide it in the ceiling of her house. Uh, every now and then, her sons, they would come and visit and they'd go, what, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing this? In fact, wh- why are you hiding it in the ceiling of all places? To which she responded to her sons, well, when I die and I go up to heaven, I want to take it with me. Now, not long afterwards, this lady, she died, and out of curiosity, her sons thought, wow, I wonder if she took the money with her, and they climbed into the ceiling, and lo and behold, what did they find but a huge pile of cash just sitting there in the ceiling. At that point, one of the sons turned to the other and he said, see, I told you we should have put it in the basement. It's obviously not a true story. That is a joke. But like the joke, it, it has uh, some truth to it uh, about the reality that we live in uh, and our priorities. Our priorities uh, in this world and the things not of this world. Uh, stories like this, they reveal something about our hearts. If we think that we need to take our money into heaven, uh, for example, then not only have we misunderstood the very nature of heaven... But we've also misunderstood the nature of the world we live in as well. And what I mean by this is that uh, this world, if you look at your text in verse 31, the world, Paul says, in its present form is passing away. And so the things that ultimately matter are the things that will live on past this world, the things that are eternal in nature, not the things that will eventually disappear like money. Now, as we tackle uh, the second half of 1 Corinthians 7 uh, this evening, it might seem like Paul is addressing questions about uh, singleness. Uh, As you heard it read, it's probably what you may have heard, and he is addressing this to an extent. Uh, But his primary concern is not about singleness per se, but rather uh, what I would say is about single-mindedness. Paul is addressing how we can best live for God and give him, as verse 35 puts it, our undivided devotion. And so like last week, uh, Paul, he takes one of the questions that they've asked. I uh, remember they ask a bunch of questions in a letter that they wrote to him in, in 7 verse 1, and he answers them slowly throughout the rest of this letter. And like we saw Paul answering questions last week uh, about sex, I remember you had people going, oh, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Uh, You had these two camps, the sexual freedom camp and the complete abstinence camp over here. And Paul takes that question that they've asked and he answers it by saying, well, yeah, sex is indispensable for a healthy marriage, but if you can control your passions, that is, if God has given you a particular gift of being content in your singleness as Paul is, then Paul thinks that singleness is a better option. And we'll see why tonight he thinks that is the case. But his ultimate point doesn't really address their initial question, if you notice. The Corinthians were effectively asking, uh, if you read between the lines, what makes you a better Christian, right? Whether you have sex or whether you abstain. And Paul turns this around and basically says, neither. Like, you're missing the point here. In fact, the answer should be, you need to focus on Jesus, Uh, Wherever you're at in life, whatever situation in life, whatever gifts God has given you, really, your ultimate focus should be on living for Jesus. 
So he takes that question and he redirects it to the deeper issue that's at hand. And as we approach these verses here tonight then, verses 25 to 40, it might look like Paul is addressing questions about singleness, which again he is to an extent, but he has a much larger reality in mind, a greater reality which he ultimately spells out in verses 29 to 31, a little block hidden in there. And in that he basically says time is short, that is, the world in its present form is passing away. Right? There's only one event left on God's calendar, and that's the return of Christ. So Paul, he is zoomed out here. He's not getting concerned with all the individual threads that make up the tapestry. He's not answering all these little questions about singleness here and marriage there and so on. Rather, he's stepping back from the tapestry and is marvelling at it all put together, seeing the entire work. And he's saying that as Christians, we need to do the same with these questions. That is, we need to step back and realize that what ultimately matters from your questions that you're asking is that we should live in a knowledge of eternity. We don't want to get too bogged down in the concerns of this world. So just as uh, last week's text uh, wasn't really about marriage, uh, this week's text isn't really about singleness either. Uh, It's about something much larger than those things. Nevertheless, though, Paul, as a caring pastor, uh, we see that his heart, it does burn for the people of Corinth, and we'll see some of that in tonight's text. He really does care for them deeply. So he doesn't just ignore their question. Uh, He answers their question in a way uh, that, as we'll soon see, is incredibly pastoral, uh, but it also points them to this bigger picture that we've been ranting on about. So with that said... Uh, If you have your outlines, at point one, don't hold tight to the things of the world. Now, some of you may have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, Here is a photo that I took of one of the caves where these were found. Uh, Yes, that was taken with my Samsung S8. It's an amazing photo, isn't it, right? (laughs) That's one of the caves uh, in Qumran, a place where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, These were biblical texts preserved inside uh, the caves beside the Dead Sea, and they were hidden there in a bid to save them from potential destruction by a Roman army that was rapidly approaching. Now, what makes the Dead Sea Scrolls so amazing is not because of the scrolls themselves per se. There are biblical texts preserved on them that are quite amazing. There's almost an entire copy of Isaiah in the Hebrew text that they've found. It's very, very, very close to the older texts that we have already had. More to the point, what's amazing about this is the fact that archaeologists have also dug up other things, not in the caves, but at the houses nearby the caves. And in the houses they found these pottery shards that have broken off but they were originally full of metals and stones and gems and other fancy treasures. And this makes some archaeologists believe that when the Romans were on the horizon and this community had a very limited time to save the things that were most precious to themselves, like, like a house that's on fire, you, know, you can only save a certain amount of things, you've only got a limited time, you can only save the things that are most valuable to you when your house is on fire... Well, in Qumran, their houses were proverbially on fire under threat of destruction by the Romans and the things that they chose to save wasn't their money, wasn't their treasures. They didn't put their gold and their silver into these caves. They put their sacred texts, their scrolls, 
in the safety and security of the caves. And this tells you a lot about their priorities. It's an amazing display that, that showed that this community, they really believed that the things of this world in their present form were passing away. And what really mattered was living a life wholeheartedly for God. So they didn't hold tight to the things of the world. In fact, it was, it was their texts. That's what really mattered to them. Now, while marriage is a gift from God, uh, Paul gives several reasons here in 1 Corinthians as to why, like the Qumran community, we shouldn't hold too tightly to it because ultimately it is passing away. Now, there are some moments in here where Paul advises, well, it's better for you not to get married, and he gives several reasons why. I'm going to put them up there on the screen. Uh, The three reasons are there is a present crisis happening in verse 26. Uh, Two, those who marry will face many troubles in this life in verse 28. And finally, verse 31, he reminds us that the world in its present form is passing away. Those are the three reasons he gives in support of singleness here. There's a present crisis. Those who marry will face many troubles. And the world in its present form is passing away. Now, we don't know exactly what this present crisis was. Uh, The problem is Paul is talking about a crisis that he seemed to know a lot about and us, this side of history, know very, very little about. Uh, We do know, though, for example, that uh, in Acts 18, there are these two people called Priscilla and Aquila who are friends of Paul's mentioned in the final greeting of 1 Corinthians. If you were to flick right to the end in chapter 16, you see these two people mentioned. And we know that they landed in Corinth because of a persecution that broke out against the Jews, where Emperor Claudius of Rome had kicked them out. So we read in Acts 18, After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila and a a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So there was a little bit of tension floating about in the land already, and it was escalating as time went by. And Christianity at this point, remember, it wasn't really seen as its own religion. It was kind of an offshoot of Judaism. That's how people saw it, just a kind of another denomination of Judaism. We also know that Paul, uh, he encountered himself quite a bit of persecution on his missionary journeys. Uh, In fact, he had a few near-death experiences. At one point, uh, he was left for dead. They actually looked at him and thought, he's gone, and they left him. Being a follower of Jesus for Paul meant real, tangible hardship. And this is the same for other followers of Jesus as well. Now, there could be other things. Uh, There was a famine happening in the land as well. We're not too sure. But what we do know is that there is a present crisis happening here. And I think this is linked to the idea of facing many troubles in marriage that Paul puts later on. So when he says, I want to save you many troubles in marriage, he's not talking about your general uh, marital struggles. Um, He's not talking about when you argue with your spouse over which way to face the toilet paper or the the great mystery over whose beard shavings are left in the sink. Rather, these are real practical troubles which are ratcheted up when you combine family life into the mix. So when you have a time of crisis and you have a wife and kids, things get really tense. Um, Put it this way, if you think of a war-torn country, 
Um, you'd know the agony produced when there's family life involved, right? People clinging to their starving babies or uh, there's footage when the Afghanistan um, evacuation happened. There's footage of people giving their Afghani babies over to the American soldiers in the hope that they might live a better life or survive the crisis. This is what's at the part of Paul's judgment here with the present crisis. It's something very serious and he wants to save them the agony of what a family brings to that. Uh, He knows that having a wife and kids during these times of crisis can cause immense pain. And so with the knowledge of this, uh, his burning pastoral heart, it wants to spare the church these troubles because he cares for them. But before we think that these first two reasons uh, for staying single are irrelevant for us, right? they, they kind of relate to a local thing going on down there, uh, before we think there's no present crisis here in Australia, uh, may I say that being a Christian in Australia is not always going to be easy. Uh, things will be ratcheted up. There will be times when there'll be pressure not to preach certain things from the pulpit. Uh, there already is in Victoria. And there will be people that become more and more intolerant of the Christian faith things will eventually reach a crisis point here in Australia as well. Now, even if we are sheltered, though, from these things for now, uh, if we are sheltered from things like war and famine, Paul gives a third reason why he thinks it's good to stay single, and this is the one that's relevant for us even here today. And the third reason to stay single is because this world, (coughs) in its present form, is passing away. And that brings us to point two. So don't hold tight to the things of the world because they are passing away. Now at this point, this is where the party's just getting started for Paul. Uh, This is where he finally gets to turn their question about singleness uh, into a question of single-mindedness, right? He finally gets to get what they've asked him and twist it into his own way of answering to kind of present them something else here. He wants to redirect their attention, and specifically here, he wants to redirect their attention heavenward. So in verse 29, he says, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those that have wives should live as if they did not. Those that mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it weren't theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. Paul says time is short, right? The clock is ticking. There's only one event left in God's calendar, and that is the return of Christ in judgment, which means that we need to hold the things of this world in open hands. In other words, we're not to get too caught up in the needs and the demands of the world, because in God's history of salvation, we are one event away from throwing them all off. And this is how we should see things. This is how we should live. Always on the edge, waiting for Jesus to return. So when it comes to things like marriage, as the Corinthians were asking about, um, Jesus himself, uh, even in this instance, reminds us in Matthew 22, 30, that, that there's no marriage in heaven, even. We have momentary marriages on earth that merely reflect, as we saw today with Tom and Al's wedding, that reflect the ultimate marriage of Christ and the church. So the world in its present form is passing away. Uh, We're not going to take any of our prized possessions into heaven. Uh, When Elon Musk, when he goes on, he's not going to take his billions with him when he dies. 
because the world in its present form is passing away. Now, in verse 31, uh, the NIV, I love the fact that it uses the term uh, engrossed. It says, not to be engrossed in the things of this world. Uh, literally, not to make full use of them. Uh, but I think the word engrossed, it, it really does capture the meaning well here. Um, you'd probably know, maybe this is you yourself, don't have to admit it, but when you're addicted to your phone and your jaw kind of drops, you kind of gaping like dead fish, scrolling through Instagram or TikTok or whatever the cool kids are doing these days, engrossed in the endless scrolling, like zombies under the mind control of big tech. Uh, Maybe you're guilty of this, um, and I've ruined your post-church bedtime routine. Uh, Paul, he says, don't be like that when it comes to the things of the world. We need to leave room for the kingdom of heaven in our priorities. So let me give you a few examples. If you're clinging to marriage or the hope of marriage as your source of happiness, well, perhaps now is a good time to remind yourself that there won't be any marriage in heaven. We need to remember that the world in its present form is passing away. Uh, If you find yourself constantly, uh, for example, thinking, look, I'll prioritise my Bible reading or my prayer life um, or going to church when I have more time in my life, like when I finish uni or when, when work, when this big work project kind of eases up, then I'll start reading a bit more. My attendance will be a bit more regular. Then I'll have the time. Might be thinking, well, I'll, I'll give financially to church when I have a slightly better paying job because right now I, I really can't afford to live and give to the church. I'll sort out my life with Jesus uh, when he blesses me with a godly and, and a smoking hot spouse. You know, if he gives me what I want, then I'll sort out my life and, and I'll, I'll commit to him more. You know, I'll be more hospitable. I'll, I'll make more dinners. I'll have more people around when God finally gives me that dream home I've always been wanting. When he finally gets me my first home that's always been out of reach, then, then I'll open up my home and be more hospitable. Maybe I'll, I'll make church more of a priority uh, when I have kids, because I want them growing up knowing about Jesus. That, that's when I'll really commit to church. Can I say if any of those things resonated with you, and if those are your hopes, none of these things will happen if you're not already doing them right now. If your heart isn't already firmly fixed on what is to come, and that's not shaping your life now, then it may never happen. None of these things as well, none of them will pay eternal dividends, none of them will give you eternal happiness without a humble knowledge of your need for Jesus and his death for you. Your humble acknowledgement that you need a loving creator to come and save you. So Paul says here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 that the world in its present form, it's passing away, so don't cling too tightly to the things of the world. Don't think that they are going to give you the happiness that you've always wanted. So that's our first two points. Don't hold tight to the things of the world because they're passing away. And this brings us to point three. Therefore, we should honour God the right way. 
Now, the rest of the passage, uh, this is Paul unpacking what it means uh, to live for God in a world that is passing away. So specifically, uh, he talks about things in relation to singleness and marriage. Um, after all, that's what the Corinthians were writing to him about. And they want to know, well, what should virgins do? Should they get married? Um, should they not? And after Paul redirects them heavenward, uh, he reverts back into to pastor mode and he explains in really practical terms <coughs> um, one of the foreseeable uh, problems he sees when living as a Christian uh, when it comes to marriage. Right, and these problems, I could put them in inverted commas here uh, because in his own words, these problems, uh, they're not sin. Uh, he highlights this specifically. Uh, it's more of a consideration that the Christian has to factor in when thinking about the possibility of marriage. So what is all this all-important thing that we need to consider from Paul? Well, he says it for us in verses 33, 34, and that is marriage naturally divides your interests. Uh, by its very nature, your interests are divided. And the reason is because, well, now you have a spouse and a family to look out for. Your interests are actually committed not just to the things that you want to do, but to the things of others. Uh, in a new marriage, uh, some people call it the porcupine effect, where you meet up, you marry, and then you realise all of a sudden you're not perfect, they're not perfect, and the things they do start to irk you, and the things you do start to irk them. Uh, little barbs poking out all over the place. A um, little bit of background, when, <laughs> when I first got married... Um, I actually made my wife cry the day we returned from our honeymoon. Uh, what happened is we'd, we'd flown in late afternoon. Uh, we'd arrived home. There was no food in the fridge or the pantry. Uh, no food except uh, some of those 90-second instant porridge sachets. Uh, we discussed what we were going to have for dinner, and I just thought, oh, porridge, that looks great. So I ripped the packet open, poured it into the bowl, added the right amount of milk, stuck it in the microwave, had the microwave going brrrr, and as it was doing that, my wife started to cry. Uh, my brand new wife. And she didn't tell me what was up. I probably should have figured it out, but I didn't. And she later told me that she thought that this was her new lot in life, now that she was married. Porridge for dinner. Day in, day out. And so I learned very, very quickly that, that I needed to consider the interests of my wife and not just myself. Porridge might be fine for me, but it's really not for my wife. So when you're married, your interests, by very nature, they're plain and simply divided. It just comes with the territory. So Paul says if you're married, uh, it naturally impacts your ability to live a life, which then gives what he calls <coughs> undivided uh, devotion to the Lord. In fact, this is why Paul champions singleness uh, and wishes that everyone had this gift of contentedness in singleness, as we spoke about last week. He wished everyone could be like him, completely satisfied, not have those burning passions and desires. Because if you have that, then it allows the possibility of undivided attention to the things of God. Right, you don't have to factor in the concerns of your spouse or your family. Uh, Paul, you can imagine when, when thinking of going on his mission trips, it'd be very similar to today. If you're single and you think, I want to go on a short mission trip, you just get up and you go and do it. Right? There's, there's no real concerns, but if you have a spouse, you can't just say, honey, we're going to such and such a town and doing mission there tomorrow. It doesn't work like that. Uh, Paul, he didn't need to kiss anyone goodbye. He could just leave, and that was one of the privileges afforded by his singleness. 
If he wanted to do something, he could just do it. So Paul, he reasonably argues that that being single, well, it does have some advantages for the gospel. Uh, He also lays out that you have lesser worries in times of crisis, as we've already discovered. Uh, You're free as well to give your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, while this is the case in theory, that that all singles across the board uh, can give their undivided devotion to the Lord, Paul knows this isn't actually a reality for lots of people as well. Uh, He knows that some singles will be eager to marry. Uh, Some uh, will be passionate. They'll have a burning passion to get married. Uh, And he knows more to the point that God has given people various gifts in this regard. And so when it comes to the question, should I get married or not, Paul's rule of thumb in all of chapter 7, it seems to be the rule of go with your gifts. Do whatever will enable you to devote yourself to God in the best possible way. So if you're trying to live the single life but you're burning with passion, as we talked about last week, then perhaps it's better to go and get married. Or if you're content in singleness and you've made up your mind that you you don't need a spouse, you're not constantly weighed down by those thoughts, then Paul says, don't seek to get married. And this is basically what makes up the rest of today's passage. So verses 36 to 40. If you don't want to get married, so if you want to get married, you haven't sinned, Paul says in verse 36. Uh, But if you have control over your will, and if you're content being single and have decided not to marry, well, that's good too. And he says, so then, he who marries the virgin does right, and he who does not marry her does better, in verse 38. Go with your gifts, and do whatever allows you to devote yourself to God in the best possible way. Now, this doesn't mean it will be easy. It doesn't mean that everyone who desires marriage will get married. Uh, people have different lots in life, and we need to love and care for all these different people. But this is Paul's rule of thumb. It's go with your gifts and do whatever will devote yourself to God in the best possible way. And that's it. He says, ultimately, our life, it's all about honouring God. Right? Time is short in verse 29. The world in its present form is passing away. Jesus is coming again very soon. And regardless of whether we end up marrying or not, Paul wants us to focus our strengths on being ready for this reality. And so while he's addressing uh, the Corinthians' questions about singleness, uh, and he's reminding them and us uh, to remain single-minded for Jesus, he really wants us to focus on his death and resurrection. If you remember way back in chapter 2, Paul sought to know nothing except Christ crucified. That's what he wants us to focus on. Proclaiming him crucified for our sins. Proclaiming him as the reason we get up in the morning and the reason we go to bed at night. Proclaiming him as the loving ruler over our lives. Knowing that the time is short and that the present world is passing away. And so with that reality in mind, how about I pray for us this evening uh, that we would all consider how we can best do that uh, in the situations that God has given us this week. Our Father God, our Lord, I pray uh, where we are half-hearted, uh, please wake us up from this half-heartedness. 
Help us to pursue you with all of our heart and our mind and soul and help us to live single-mindedly for you. Lord, give us the strength to avoid engrossing ourselves in the pleasures and passions of the world through the knowledge that it, in its present form, is passing away. Lord, help us to cling to Jesus through faith while we await for you to come in judgment and help us to encourage others to do the same. Lord, thank you that you've shielded us from your wrath through the blood of Jesus. Please hold us firmly in you this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.